0: His name I'm fixed upon it name of-
1: Hello and welcome back to a matter of truth. My name is Anthony, and I am your host for today. Today, we are not joined by Alex because when I scheduled the recording, I scheduled for one time, and then I shifted it and moved it around midday, literally today. And I was not able to get a hold of Alex. That's on me, but all is good. Um, I did let him know, and he's graciously forgiven me. <laughs> anyway, so on this special episode, uh. I wanted to have a guest on. I wanted to talk about Christmas, and we have a special guest. He's the founder and director of Crisis the Cure. His name is Nick Campbell. I'm sure you guys have all heard of him. Maybe not, but if you haven't, go check out Crisis the Cure on Instagram and his website. Um, he's an author. He's penned a book that's coming out called Holidays and Feasts. And I'm super excited to have him on here because he doesn't give many interviews, so I feel especially blessed that he would take the time out to to talk with us uh, about his book. So um, I want to welcome to the show Nick Campbell. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? It's going well, man. How about you? How you doing? Been busy. It's a busy time. I can imagine keeping busy with Christmas, family, and now a book. Right? Yes. Yeah. We were just. Uh, we actually.
0: Um, it was a last minute project this year. Yeah. Um, originally, I was like, you know what? I may do this next year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then that last few weeks, we've just finished. I was like, oh,
1: wow. well, I guess it's done. So, Well, that's awesome. Perfect timing with uh, Christmas season. So, um, all right. I gave you the stock introduction. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself and Crisis the Cure, if you would. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, so Christ is the Cure was founded on the idea that uh, theology is for everyone and that anyone can... Uh, reach into the depths of theology uh, without needing a degree or without having to have special training and so the idea was to articulate that and share theology with people and uh, regardless of where you are in your Christian walk you can theoretically hopefully pick up an episode of crisis cure and learn something new yeah um, and so that's the the general thrust of it and as time has gone on it's it's morphed a little bit here and there where um, there's an emphasis on church history. Now that wasn't necessarily there to begin with. And then mm. uh, we have added a great team. And uh, for those who don't know, Anthony, who's interviewing me right now is actually on that team. <laughs> and he adds a great practical flair to the show. And we have Paul who adds more, um, more pointed academic flair to the show. And then we have great writers too. So we're just uh, kind of expanding. And I tell everyone, you know, you know, do what you feel led to do. Just make sure that it's um, um, where um Something you're interested in, so that you have the passion behind it, because that's yeah. it really fosters more passion from the
1: people who listen. If you have passion behind what you're talking about, yeah, that's awesome. And how long has Crisis Secure uh, been around overall? So the podcast started in
0: 2017. Oh, okay, yeah, and uh, and then we added.
1: Man, I think we started expanding the team last year, wasn't it? It was yeah. something like last year. It was. It was, and and you also have your website, right? Right, At Crisis. Yeah. C- CrisisCare.org, and it's got so much information and, and great resources, biblical resources. I, and you have these amazing graphics and charts that you've become known for. I've seen them reposted on Instagram and they're just, they're excellent. You become like this graphics King and people have said it too.
0: You know, the funny thing about the, the charts too, is that I, those are mental exercises for me. And yeah. then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to share them. It's awesome. Um, but you can definitely see the improvement of them. So the the whole graphic king thing is relatively new. If you look at the old ones,
1: yeah. Well, the graphics are really amazing, and I think they pack a ton of information um, that are extremely beneficial to, especially new believers with very complex doctrinal. Uh, topics, things like, you know, Christ and the scripture, even revelation, the Trinity, legalism and obedience, things like that. So, um, highly recommend people checking it out on your website. And while we're here, why don't you tell us what the best way for, for people to contact you? If it's through Instagram, it's through, um, the website, what works best?
0: Um, yeah, the, the the best way to to contact us is by going to the contact page or org or, uh, nick.campbell at Christ of the Cure.org, uh, as an email, um, my, I don't know what it is, Instagram, um, the direct messages and stuff like that just don't
1: work for me anymore. Yeah. They kind of glitch out. And so I don't even really check them anymore. Yeah, no, I hear that. Um, all right, well, let's, let's dig right into the book. Let's get sure. to it. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, what, first off I want to say, I, I love the book because it's, you know, it actually reflects your podcast. You know, you pick a topic and you dig in. Uh, you go to scripture uh, and you present such you know the case based off of scripture, but also you know external historical facts and and things from you know the early church and the early church leaders. And um, at the end of the day, it boils down to just this question. And maybe this will end the podcast. Maybe it won't. Um, but let's the my the big question. Let's get it out of the way. Um, is Christmas evil or pagan Nick. Well, <laughs> Anthony, if I had to sit back and give an answer to that question, I would have to say no. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, I didn't realize it was such, such a, a, a thing and maybe it's not that big of a deal, but it seems like you see it a lot, you know, people talking about how it's a pagan holiday. It comes from pagan tradition. Um, you know it's evil, and um, and certainly you know there there are things that are unbiblical, uh, obviously about about Christmas. But um, you know overall, again, this whole idea that it's just it's derived from paganism. Um, you know, I it, it leads me to ask the question: So, what exactly prompted you to cover um, this topic in the book? Because it's uh, like I said, it's a bigger deal than I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is that originally my plan
0: was to never talk about holidays on the show. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, That was like one of the first things I thought of whenever I was starting the podcast was like, these, these are the topics I'm never going to touch. Right. And holidays was one of them. Um, but what many don't realize, and I actually included it in this edition of the book in the introduction was that I used to be anti Christmas, um, I whenever I first mm. got married and we were talking about Christmas, I oh, was really. like, let's get rid of this tree. It's pagan. And I was I was in that boat. Um, and as time went on, I started noticing inconsistencies with the arguments, and I just started doing some research. Mm-hmm. And as I was researching it and as I was thinking deeper on the arguments, I was like, I, I don't necessarily buy this anymore. Um, And so that prompted part two of the book, which is Christmas and paganism. Okay. Um, And a great example of like how I like, I guess the arguments go is that one argument that I keep seeing around is that if Christmas was about Christ, then the world wouldn't celebrate it. Um, But we all recognize that Christmas has become materialistic and secularized. Yeah. So it really depends on where you begin in your presupposition, because for them it's pagan. Therefore the world celebrates it because it's pagan for me as a Christian, um, who presupposes that it's a Christ centered celebration that got corrupted by sinful man. Yeah. Um, I can say, well, yeah, they, they celebrate it, but they've altered it enough to where it doesn't look like it's Christ centered because they want the benefits without Christ himself, as yeah. they always do. You could say this with education, public education was started by the Puritans and college education was started by the Puritans. Well, at least in the United States. Um, and then you can see how that panned out in our modern age. What does public Mm education school system look like now? Um, (laughs) So you can see like, there's going to be things that are corrupted by everyone and anyone. Right. Um, you can say, say that with marriage, you can say that with strength, intelligence. And so that's one of those things where whenever I started sitting back and thinking more deeply on the topic, I said, well, if Christians started a holiday and the world wanted to have the good and the fun of the holiday, well, yeah, they would adopt it and they would tweak it and change it so that it would be less Christian. Sure. Um, and so it really depends on where you start with that initial presupposition of, is it pagan? Yeah. Yes or no?
1: Yeah. How So how far were you in your walk as uh, as a Christian uh, to where you were like, wait a minute, things aren't adding up. Christmas isn't so pagan um because you initially you initially thought that um to when you released the the episode in in defense of 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 Christmas that Christmas didn't come from uh you know um paganism. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so whenever I posted up the episode it was just about a couple weeks or a month before that episode was published that I was okay with Christmas.
1: Really? Um Okay before
0: then I was like, this, this doesn't look anything like, I mean, I I was questioning it all. Yeah. Um, but I realized that most of the arguments <clears throat> hinged on a particular view of how Roman Catholicism started, mm-hmm. uh, without considering the Eastern church. And that was a big question mark in my brain. Um, but it was right around when that episode was published that, um,
1: that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good with Christmas. I think it's solid. Mm, okay. And I know you said to me, and you said in some, what interviews you have given, that you grew up actually atheist or agnostic. It was one of the two, I, th- I think, right? Right. So I, I, I hit both of them. Okay. <laughs> and that means you celebrated Christmas like a lot of people, just uh, from the secular standpoint, it was something you did growing up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So my my parents were separated, um, and one side of the family had a lot of money, the other side didn't. And so I would have two, you know, you go visit your other side of the family, and um, one of them would have this big blown up, lots of materialism, lots of stuff just like loaded in the house. And then you go to the other one, and they would have stuff, but they would be like struggling to buy it because we didn't have that much money. But in both cases, they were not religious settings. Mm, So they were a secular materialistic view of Christmas. And that's what I knew. And so I did have that going into Christianity. Like, um, we used to do Christmas too and had nothing to do with Christ.
1: Um, and so that could have been my baggage in, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a really good point and it's, it's one I actually didn't really even think about honestly is, um, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, what you, what you're carrying in to, you know, putting your faith in Christ, right? I, I was born into a, a Roman Catholic family and my parents put faith in Christ. And um, so Christmas was always very Christ-centered. It was also, you know, there was the materialism portion because I was kind of like "Oh, Roman, Roman Catholicism, it's a joke. And um, I hadn't put faith in Christ. But when I put my faith in Christ a few years back, more than a few years back now, um, it just intensified uh, you know, the focus on Christ even that much more because it was always it was always Christ centered. So to that point, I think people like you said, if you if you're coming in to it from materialistic, secular kind of worldview, your presuppositions are, are based on that, I guess you you kind of want to rid yourself of of all of those things, and you're thinking, well, Christmas is just a secular holiday. It's really not Christ-centered. It's about Santa, et cetera. Wouldn't you say that's kind of the thought process with uh, the way people think about it? Yeah, um, it, perhaps. Um, I think that
0: again the that idea that that idea that everyone in the world does it kind of thing is really like one of the main things that gets people thinking about. Like, why why do Wiccans say they celebrate? Christmas, right? Um, and I, I saw a video the other day, actually, online of Yule. on um, there talking about Yuletide, and the, these Wiccans were saying, well, you know, everything that you guys have for Christmas, you got from us. But that, I mean, we didn't talk about Yule in the book, but it, it's pretty interesting because if you look up the history of Yule, Yule was celebrated as a winter solstice event, uh, and then whenever they converted, they, they adopted it and made a Christian on their end, not the other way around, because... Pagans were known for being syncretists like that. Um, So that was just one of those things where everyone in the world seems to celebrate it. And the question is why, well, Christians had a big influence and people were converting left and right. And people were viewing things that they had around those times in light of their new faith. And, uh, and of course, morph things morph over time. And that's where you get the modern materialistic Santa Claus and stuff like that. But uh, whenever you go back to each of their origins, the origins of elements are either questionable at mm-hmm. best um, or just twisted versions of what was a Christian tradition initially, like
1: St. Nick yeah. and Nicholas. Um, so things like that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Nicholas, I, I I think you hear about uh, like the legend, right? Uh, of, of Nicholas being present at the first uh, ecumenical council in Icia and he punches Arius in the face um, and I hadn't heard about that prior to you posting <laughs> about it. Um, but you know, I, I, think that just goes to show, I mean, there is so much church history, um, and church history really helps protect us from, you know, these, these, uh, mistakes, these foolish mistakes that, that you know, from the past. And, um, I'd love for you to actually, uh, maybe spend some time talking about the importance of, why it's helpful to have some basic knowledge about early church, early church history, um, church leaders, and um, and the different councils.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting because I found that um, our generation of Christianity is very ahistorical. And I, I believe it's one of the reasons why we have so many evangelicals converting to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, because they can say, well, we had the early church. And most evangelicals have such a simplified version of church history with that. They think that Constantine was the reason why Roman Catholicism was invented in the fourth century. Uh, What they don't realize is that the ramifications of that idea, um, is that from the fourth century till today, everything was just wholesale corrupted. And so you have this giant gap and, and so that's, that's, that's kind of a sad way to live. And so, um, the ramifications of, of the idea that the church adopted paganism so easily and so early on um, is detrimental really to the Christian faith because it held no water and it needed supplemental paganism immediately to be meaningful for people around them. Right. Um, We complain about that in our day and age too, about the church adopting the culture and stuff like that, because we don't believe the sufficiency of scripture. Right. But there becomes a problem though, whenever you read church histories And you read about how early Christians wouldn't even have instruments in worship because they were too pagan. Hmm. But you're going to tell me that they adopted the worship of the sun god of Rome. Um, I don't understand how that logically tracks. And so having those fundamental basics of how the church function within their society, I think, is important and can help you navigate it. But really, there's a lot of faithful men and women who came before us that we can learn from. Spot on. And uh, one one of the reasons why the incarnation was so important was because of Gnostic heresies that denied the humanity of Christ in the early church. Um, and so there's, there's a great deal of Eastern early church writers who focus salvation on the incarnation. Jesus had to live in every stage of human life to redeem human beings so that we could be in a state of glorification after our resurrection of our bodies. So there's a lot of aspects like that that go into it, but ultimately, it's it's knowing where things went from from between uh, the Apostle John, arguably the last Apostle to die, to now uh, without saying, hey, you know, that whole time span, it was just corrupt and wholesale gone. Um, and whenever you get to the Reformation, you have people like um, Bullinger and Calvin who are like, "We we see Christmas as one of the most holy days, but we're going to get rid of the Saint Nicholas element because we don't venerate the saints. And so there's things like that that did get picked and pulled and then you have the puritans who just reject Christmas altogether because of a knee rejection a knee reaction to Rome. But the the ultimate point I guess is if we're ignorant about church history then whenever a pagan atheist wiccan whoever tells us that oh yeah we just ripped off paganism we'll believe them and all of a sudden we're just pagans who have christianity attacked onto our name and that's just a false idea of christianity.
1: Yeah, and you mention in your book, um, you know, you talk about secularism versus paganism, and you go into that. and, um, you know, there's this sense, you you hear people say, um, you know, Christmas comes from, um, you know, paganism. Well, paganism is drastically different, or, uh, yeah, it is, uh, than secularism. So, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the impact of secularism versus paganism as it relates to, to Christmas, Um Because again, you mentioned both of these things in your book.
0: Yeah. So that's actually one of the interesting things too. Whenever you're having these discussions and someone says Christmas is pagan, well, would you define pagan? Um, Because paganism was actually used by the early church first in the fourth century. um, And it was used to describe polytheism in the Roman empire or ethnic religions other than Judaism. Um, So paganism is the worship of false gods so is Christmas pagan? Does it worship false gods? Well, the answer would be no, because no one's worshiping. And you can go into the definition of worship, too, whenever people talk about a Christmas tree. Well, you're bringing a tree into your house, therefore you're worshiping the tree. That's not how worship works. That's not how polytheism works. That's not how idols work. Um, so what you have is you you have not only people accidentally or unintentionally twisting the scripture of Jeremiah to to make a case against Christmas based off of what they perceive to be accurate biblical interpretation. But you also have them misunderstanding the fundamentals of worship is living for a deity and worship is active reverence for a particular deity. And paganism is worshiping a false deity, namely polytheism within the Roman context. Initially, now people will call Wiccans or Satanism paganism, but that's neither here nor there. For secular, that's stripping every religious element away, and so whenever I say that Christmas's problem is less pagan and more secular, it's because we focused heavily on the material, the the moralism, you know, the basically the humanistic elements that we see all around us that humans can just do it themselves, and we can just be hedonists in some way. And you could say that that's a religion in some sense. Humanism is a religion. But secular is probably the best way I would define it in some sense. Um, so if if we're saying that having the religious elements are stripped from Christmas as the problem, then yeah, see, yeah, because we've we've had it to where Saint Nicholas is no longer Saint Nicholas. He's this this big elf in a suit that gives you things if you do the right things. Um, and you can go down the list of all the different traditions. And I try to make that a point that like we're not talking about the traditions. We're just talking about the roots, and we talk about the little elements here and there that you have to wade through yourself. Um, my goal in the book is to give you the foundations to kind of deal with the root arguments and then you can wade through the rest on your own with your yeah. family kind of thing.
1: Yeah. That's a great explanation. And I was actually one of those ones because you mentioned secularism versus paganism and I would kind of just mess the two together. It was, you know, out of sheer ignorance. Um, And that's clearly not the case. They they are they are different, and it just got me thinking a a little bit about you know the chief end of Satan is really to in fact destroy, wipe out anything related to Christ. Um, And with that in mind, I mean that's exactly the point in um, you know with Christmas being coming so secular, right? So you know it's 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 interesting that we're going to ignore the opportunity to. to use Christmas in a way that glorifies God in, in showing the true meaning of, you know, of the celebration of the incarnation. And um, we, sh- we should stop and kind of consider uh, you know, that it, when we share yeah. the true meaning of Christmas, you know, we are actually sharing um, you know, we're sharing the gospel and we're, it's an opportunity to share Christ and, that's something we shouldn't. Um, it just got me thinking. We, you know, if we, ch- or if we're like we're not going to celebrate Christmas, um, you know, because it's 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 secular. Uh, as Christians, we know it's not, and we're missing out on a huge opportunity yeah. to share Christ. And I've heard John MacArthur talk about it, and you know, um, and, and other great theologians. And I, I think that's that's kind of um, important that we we t- we seize that opportunity. Yeah.
0: I um one thing that I was thinking through too is that I don't know if I mentioned this in the book or not, but the funny thing about these topics, Easter or Christmas is that no, regardless of where you fall on it at this time of year, everyone is still talking about Jesus, whether it's negative or positive, it's still all about Jesus. And it's really kind of funny if you think about it. Um, and, and it, the, I think the saddest part is the bickering, um, with how, um, how much someone can be quote unquote pure or clean, whether or not you observe or do not observe the day. And I try to try to make that clear in the book that like, we need to be united on this and we need to just be careful about how we talk to others about it. Um, because there really is kind of this, um, you know, Pharisee mentality of if you abstain from this, then you are more holy. And if you do not, then you are not more holy. But the, the exact point of Romans 14 is that no, that's not how this works. Um, And I admit in the book that Christmas is a tradition that is post New Testament, but that there's grounds for it in the Bible to celebrate it. Um, And then the Easter discussion is much more simple because it was just a little matter of linguistics um, and it just challenges
1: some memes that you find online, really. Yeah, and you know another thing that popped into my head. I, I think with Christmas and and the folks that are like, oh, it's so pagan. It's it's um you know it's it, it's completely secular. Which a lot of elements have become extremely secular. But um, from a Christian standpoint, you know, if you're going to maintain that position, um, that you, okay, I'm not going to celebrate Christmas as a believer, but there's no issue then in celebrating self with respect to uh you know all these other secular traditions, like, Hey, the birth of, you know, loved ones, your family, your friends, yeah. graduations, uh, you know, we celebrate things for our kids. Um, you know, we get federal days off and it's, they're, they're celebrations and, um, you know, weddings even. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you could, you could say that. Right. And you could also say from, from a Christian perspective, some of them are providential. Mm-hmm. Why can't I celebrate a job promotion if it helps my family with my family? because of the providence of God and getting that job promotion. Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, and it seems like that too. I saw, I had several conversations with like that. Um, you know, just in the last few weeks where I was talking to someone and they were saying, well, Christmas is pagan. You're just loving your tradition. You shouldn't do that. Uh, and this individual had a picture of them gifting an engagement ring, which engagement rings have pagan origins, Mm -hmm. um, on Christmas day to his fiance. And I was like, you can't, you have to be consistent. Yeah. Uh, and then another individual who would say something like, I only celebrate that which the Bible commands me to celebrate in terms of holy days, except for a few patriotic holidays. It's like <laughs> you gotta be consistent. Like if if you're going to take the position, you have to take it all the way through to its logical conclusions. Yeah. Um and and that's really just where that line of thinking kind of boils down, I think, is the consistency. And then there are things that we celebrate day in and day out that aren't explicitly expressed. In Scripture to celebrate,
1: right? Um, because that's what life is. Life is thanksgiving to God and walking in the gospel, right? And you know what? To that point, Scripture says to rejoice in all things, giving thanks to God. Uh, so in everything we do, we're blessed, and we should celebrate. Um, you know, the incarnation of uh, of God, and uh, why is you know why would Christmas be any different? I mean, you, we we see it in Scripture. Um, you know like isaiah twelve one through six so um you know it's it's on how we approach things the the you know the intent of, of of our heart right uh you know especially with you know when we go into when we go into christmas um so moving on to the next question here um what I want you to talk about is you mentioned in your book about traditions and there are traditions um that um jesus took part in that were not necessarily explicitly mentioned in scripture. And, and one of them is Hanukkah. So um, I'd love for you to kind of talk to that point. That point is is in the book, so be sure to get the book and, and read it. But um, I'd love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit.
0: Right. Um,
1: so what, what is interesting is that
0: I actually had this conversation with a few people. Um, there were a few individuals who I was talking to who are anti-Christmas, pro-Old Testament feasts. Um, and they say that we only observe Hanukkah and we put an emphasis on the birth of Christ at Hanukkah. So in that sense, they're actually converting Hanukkah to Christmas, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but they'll say Jesus observed Hanukkah in John 10, therefore we do too. But that just, that for me is another proof. And I use another example too of the wall in Nehemiah, but um, Jesus celebrated a cultural Holiday that was formed to celebrate the providence of God that was not explicitly commanded in the Bible, um, and he's in the temple and people approach him and he talks about their unbelief. He doesn't he doesn't reprimand them for defying the temple or changing worship or celebrating something not supposed to celebrate, um, and he he doesn't have a problem doing that elsewhere with with clearing out the temple. Um, but the Hanukkah is to celebrate the Maccabean revolts that cleared where the Maccabees rose up and they cleared out uh pagans from their temple, and then they made a celebration about it. Um and I talk about that in part two of the book. Um but we have Jesus seemingly participating and most will agree, even as I noted these people who um were anti-Christmas would agree that he was celebrating that. So if Jesus can celebrate this cultural holiday mm-hmm. um that recognized a providential work of God in history then Christians have more grounds to celebrate a providential work in history, especially because it centers around the incarnation, which is far greater than the Maccabean revolt historically. Mm. We're talking about one of the most profound historical events in humanity. Um, And so if there's grounds for... For celebrating a war, then there's grounds for celebrating the war to end all wars, the the God, the son taking on flesh that
1: would lead to him defeating death and being raised so that we could be raised into new life. Amen. So with your book and what you're trying to convey, um, and you just mentioned, you know, there are folks that are like, okay, we, we don't celebrate Christmas, but we'll celebrate uh, this particular um you know, this tradition, uh, say, like you said, from from the Old Testament. So there's clearly a disconnect. What is that disconnect where people aren't, you know, um, getting what you're saying, what you're trying to convey in your book, but they'll stand strong, they'll stand their ground with respect to, um, you know, I'm going to follow this particular tradition, though. Um, I, I just think that's kind of an interesting point that, you know, maybe you could touch on and, and provide some insight.
0: I think... I think they want to do the right thing. I think they're trying to honor God. I think they have good zeal. Um, I, I think that they, they want to be obedient and they, and they want to live for God. And so I think that their heart's in the right place without a doubt. And I think that that's where uh, the conscience really does come into play. Um, I think that the disconnect really is that um, there is no explicit command to do it in the Bible, Um, And there's this underlying idea because it's a theme in the New Testament that traditions of men are bad on the surface. That's kind of what you get if you have the basic evangelical understanding of traditions. Um, The disconnect, I believe, is really in the root of evangelicals and modern Christians not recognizing that everyone has traditions and not all traditions are inherently bad. Um, No matter what you do, the way our church looks like, the way it functions Our little details, how we live today in our modern culture, those are traditions. Those are practices that are not explicitly mentioned in Scripture. Uh, Scripture never tells you to use your phone unto the glory of God. That is a tradition of modern man, and and we use it to worship and glorify God. Um, But everyone has traditions. Not all traditions are inherently wrong. And so I try to go through that in part three of the book where I talk about these are the traditions that Jesus were concerned with. And Jesus was concerned with adding commandments that would make you more holy or pure. And they were adding these commandments to scripture as law, basically. Um, which I would argue mm. that the anti-Christmas crowd does by making this prohibition against an annual celebration of the incarnation. Yeah. Well,
1: what's wrong too? What, what is wrong with, um, you know, an annual celebration of the incarnation of, of God? Uh, what is, what's the problem? Because Yeah, we all talk about it as Christians. Technically, we should be celebrating Christ every single day, every single day, 365 days a year. Um, and, And really, Christmas and Easter, I mean, that's the gospel message. So this, you know, the annual celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, there's, you know, it goes back to, again, the intent of your heart. And if you're coming at it in that way and looking at it as an opportunity, you know, as well as at Easter, again, that's the gospel, right? Yeah.
0: And, And to kind of backtrack on what you said, this idea that, well, we do it every day, there's no use for annual recognition. Well, if that's the case, then Passover shouldn't have been every year. If that was the case, all these Old Testament feasts shouldn't have been annual, because why Why not just celebrate those every day, right? Right. The reality is that human beings in the Old Testament, you can see this, are constantly forgetting the good things of God. Yeah. And so these annual celebrations are brought up to refocus and realign our attention to those good things of God. Yeah. And so you can celebrate the incarnation every day of the year. Most of us don't, if we're honest. Mm-hmm. We, we all fall short but whenever it comes to Christmas time and you have that annual focus, that realignment, and you can really just center in and focus on that reality, then you can put your attention on it. And whenever Easter rolls around, you focus on that reality and put your attention on it. Of course we meditate on the gospel daily, right? but there's a purposeful intentionality behind an annual celebration that has weight and merit. And you can see that in the old Testament feasts in themselves,
1: you know, and in these types of discussions, um, you know, we we're talking about the Old Testament, and with anything, just understanding terminology and the definitions. Um, you know, they're key to really understanding. You know, the premise and and the position you're present you're uh, you're presenting. So, understanding historical context these these dates, historical dates, how it all ties together. Um, you know, and you reference that, and you mention these things in your book throughout your book. It, it, they're they're extremely critical. So. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of historical context and, and, and dates? Yeah.
0: Um, one of the interesting points with the historical context, and I mentioned it briefly, and whether or not you're for liturgy, I know that that kind of differs in our context. The the yearly celebration of a variety of things became year-round. It was, they would basically reenact the life of Jesus in holidays and feasts in the new Testament. Um, so you would have, uh, the feast of nativity on December 25th, and then you have epiphany. That's the revelation of Jesus at his baptism and on January 6th. And then it would just go on and on until Easter with, with Easter. What most people don't realize is that Easter is one of the easiest ones to deal with. And I think I can't remember if I mentioned that already is that it's really just about silly memes and linguistics. But whenever you go back and realize that, um, that they were celebrating the resurrection right at the outset, they made it an annual thing immediately. That That's very important because um, there's, there's not, nothing pagan about it. You can say, well, the inclusion of eggs and, and hairs or whatever, and those elements are debatable. Um, I mentioned the Easter hair. Like people really just don't know. We, we pretend to have certainty on some of these things, and we just don't know for certain. Um, but at the end of the day... Whenever we're talking about what was the intention and the initial function and history of this event, then it's not pagan. Can it, could it have incorporated elements later on? Yeah, but what was its original intention and in, and in, in focus? Because if it was Christian in nature, then it's fundamentally not pagan. And that's that's really what I was trying to drive home with all this, because um, because the idea is that Christmas. I, I'm I'm a Christian in the in the third century and I see and I see Sol Invictus, and I'm saying, you know what? I want to celebrate Sol Invictus. All right, I'm celebrating Sol Invictus. This is Jesus' birthday. That's not what happened. Uh, and so that, that was my main thrust, is that you have to look at intentionality and purpose, and if other elements came in, then you have to navigate those elements. But the root is really what we're looking at here. Um, and I just, again, the historical context, like you mentioned, really made me struggle with this idea that they would so easily adopt paganism. Um, in the way that people were suggesting, especially whenever people like Tertullian were specifically writing against Saturnalia and you'll go on to a comment thread and that's what you'll see. Oh, Christmas is just Saturnalia. Christmas is just the winter solstice. Uh, Christmas is just Sol Invictus. You, you just go down mm-hmm. the list. Um, but that's really, uh, hopefully that answered your question in some shape or form.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And it actually brings to mind another point that I wanted to touch on. Um, and it's it's about the importance of understanding and studying geographical and cultural context within Scripture, and and really what a believer should understand about those things. And you you touch on this with respect to you know an argument that I actually bought into it, it, it at some point in time, and I remember saying this to to people, um, saying, "Well, Christmas it didn't really happen in December. You know, Jesus wasn't really born on December twenty fifth because why would the shepherds be?" tending their sheep in in the winter. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, And I've heard that. I've heard that argument. Um, So why don't you talk to that a little bit? Um, So yeah, there there are people who believe that Jesus was born more
0: around September or August, uh, and really scholars kind of range. But the initial thought that I see basically everywhere is, well, you know, it can't be December 25th, period. It's nonsense. Um, And that kind of you know, I, I get it because, well, it's cold and it's just kind of arbitrary and there's no real data. But um, in the book, I try to point out there is actually whenever you look at the accounts in Luke, depending on when Zechariah served in the temple, you could have either Jesus being conceived in December or born in December. So that's significant. And then you have people saying, "Well, you know, the shepherds wouldn't be out tending their flocks." Well, no, because that area, Bethlehem, has the same climate as Arizona or Florida where sheep can be comfortable year-round except in hot days.
1: Yeah, and, and so they would that's something I didn't even realize right. till you, till your book.
0: Plenty plenty yeah. of Hebrew scholars too will be happy to say, "Yeah, you know, sheep are out year-round. There's nothing wrong with December dates." Um and then there there's the other element of well, people who lived closer to Jesus's day were okay with that date you're talking about the predominant final tradition of December 25th being placed in the ground. And that's why we have it to today. Um, none of those people who were okay with that tradition, I mean, thought that it was nonsense because that's what the tradition ended up being. Right. Um, and so that's one of those things where I, I tend to, that's my blind spot. Perhaps I'll trust those within, that historical era more so than I'll trust modern scholars um, whenever it comes to what happened on what date and when. So if John or uh, Justin Martyr say that they have tax records and that December 25th is the traditional date, um, I'll believe them over a modern scholar saying, well, no, that's not possible, period.
1: Right. I I think that's a great point. And that's actually... Uh, you know, whole other topic with respect to early church leaders, uh, church fathers, and uh, and how they were not that far removed from the crucifixion of Christ, uh, Christ being raised, and and even uh, you know the last apostle uh, John. So again, topic for another day, but uh, I, I know we're running short on time, and I wanted to talk a little bit uh, and and ask this question regarding Romans 14. I just wanted to know how instrumental it was, Romans 14, in your study for this book.
0: Um, to be honest, it was just kind of a fundamental principle that I try to keep in mind as I was writing. I really didn't want to be too polemical i didn't want it to sound like i was um you know, bashing those who have a conviction otherwise but i also wanted to make it clear that if you if you come to this book believing that christmas is pagan and you finish it and you're still not convinced then it's still best to abstain from practicing it until you are convinced fully in your own mind and i really i i think i mentioned that like five or six times because i really wanted to be emphatic that if you are not doing this in faith, it is a sin for you, according to Paul in Romans fourteen. Um, and so, I, I hope that f- for people who read this who are not on my side of the fence on this, they can see that I'm not saying just do whatever you want. Yeah, um,
1: it, it's not a call so for th- our antinomianism, right? Ex-
0: exactly, right. Yeah, and, and I had to make that point too about about traditions too. Uh, that it's not just a free for all or anything like that, um, but that each one of us should be convinced in our own mind. Um, and I, I understand what it's like to be on the other side of that fence. I understand their heart and where they're coming from and, and why they feel the way they feel. Um, and so that's kind of where I land with that.
1: Okay. So I'd love for you to kind of give some guidelines, some, uh, you know, some basic guidelines on how to process your book, because your book is packed with dates, ton of information, uh, regarding early church leaders and, uh, sometimes we have the tendency to to when we're reading about dates and church fathers and um, how everything is tied together, we get, we get overwhelmed. So, you know, I'd love for you to kind of maybe some basic guidelines, some ideas on how somebody's reading the book who might not be accustomed to reading those types of things or not, they're not around it and um, you know, how they can process the book, how they can get through it and, you know, and, and, and understand it and not feel, overwhelmed i I know it's a might be a tough question, but I was wondering if you could shed some light on it
0: yeah, um that's a good question i I would say just just take your time, chew on it, um pray through it, and that that's really the best you can do, I think I think just really mulling over the information, thinking it through, and I think I mentioned it too like if you if you finish and you're not sure, then just abstain. For a year, pray on it. And then if next year rolls around and you're not convinced, abstain and pray. Or if you're convinced that you shouldn't celebrate at all, then drop it. Uh, just That's where you you hand over your faith and you say, I'm doing this in faith for the glory of God. And so that's what I'm doing. Uh, you live out your conviction and consistency uh, with your
1: conscience. That's awesome. Amen. All right, it's Christmas time. So everybody... Go get a copy of this book, um, Holidays and Feasts by Nick Campbell. I really appreciate the time um, coming on the show. And why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can get the book, contact information, um, any final thoughts uh, to close out uh, this episode?
0: So, yeah, you can actually go to org forward slash Holidays and the Feasts, and it'll pull up a page where you can look over some of the details of the book. And uh, really, the book is sold on Amazon. Um, I'm not sure, uh, what it'll look like at the time of this publication of this episode, but the Kindle edition, um, is order is available for pre-order and it'll be out on December 15th and the paperback you can purchase as well. Um, in terms of crisis, the cure in general, you can just go to crisissecure.org, and you can go to the contact page or email us, um, at Nick.campbell at Ultimately with this book, I just hope that it's is beneficial in some shape or form i hope that if you read this book and whether or not you agree or disagree at the end of the day you come out thinking of the glory of the incarnation and how wonderful it is i know that uh putting together the material for part three in particular was extremely rich for me just getting to meditate on philippians again getting to meditate on galatians again um and so i hope that even if you um do not agree that you find something worth uh, taking away from it and that that's
1: all i have all right well that's all i got as well um thank you for joining us on a matter of truth my name is anthony and again you can find a matter of truth on instagram uh, and christ is secure on instagram and i just want to wish everybody a, a a blessed and happy christmas uh this season and uh again thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon god bless